When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When I wake up, well, I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who wakes up next to you. When I go out, yeah, I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who goes along with you. If I get drunk... Hey, we've got a bowl game coming up. I mean, like, it's it's happening. It's happening uh, probably by the time we get this thing produced and published. We're looking at about 24 hours before kickoff, which I do realize is not an optimal time uh, before a, a bowl game to get a podcast out. So we probably are uh, at least 24 hours behind on this. But it is what it is. Oklahoma facing Florida State in the Cheez-It Bowl. And um, I don't know about you. I have a hard time typing out cheese it bowl i have a hard time saying cheese it bowl and and yeah pun intended here it's just a cheesy name um but that is the world we live in and i don't want to sound too much like an old uh when i go back to just saying i miss the days of the gator bowl and the orange bowl and you know you just had you know look i i get it uh, bowl games are a big part of the sport. Bull games make a lot, a lot of money and they make a lot of people happy, but they are definitely diluted, watered down to the point where you do have people saying there's too many. Now I, I ride the fence on this. Okay. Because I love football and I'm, I'm trying to drink this in, just drink it in as, as much as I can. Like right now, as I'm recording this podcast, I'm watching the Duke bowl game. All right. Because I just, I drink it in. Right. Um, and then when it's gone, I I'm sad. So I love, I love football and I love the bowl games, but we, we at least have to admit that a bowl game in 2022 means not near as much as it did in 1995, 1999, even in 2000 when Oklahoma beat Florida State in the Orange Bowl. I mean, the, the bowl games, it just, I mean, you got you got teams with losing records making it to the bowl game now. And, and I know I'm all over the place with this because I love football, but man, th- this is a football addict's dream. But if you're into good football, like if you like quality football, um, this is a nightmare. Now, I'm of the opinion that a lot of times bad football makes for fun games. And that this first part of the bowl season has certainly provided plenty of that. Uh, what's going to happen with Oklahoma and Florida State on Thursday night uh, in Orlando, Florida? We're going to jump into that. Um, I've got a list of players that kind of the, the, the fate of this bowl game hinges upon. And, um, and we'll see what where we go from there. But I got to start with recruiting because I really haven't recorded since National Signing Day. And, and I know you've probably, if you're listening to the, this podcast, that means you've got like a, a list of podcasts that you listen to who probably publish way more regularly than I do. And you've heard all the thoughts on Recruiting Day. And that's great because I got really nothing new to add to that. But I do have one thought 
on Peyton Bowen that I, I'm going to share. Um, but here's the thing. Oklahoma signs 25 players. The number five class, according to 24-7 Sports, the number five class nationally. Um, and the tw- three five-star recruits for Oklahoma in this class, including Peyton Bowen. Now, the thing is, there there is a... We are an emotional bunch when it comes to what Oklahoma does good and what Oklahoma does poorly, okay? So basically, if you're an OU fan, you you can't you can't accept being okay. You either got to excel or you got to be garbage because those are the two talking points. So if if you're mediocre, for example, football season right now, six and six, that is the epitome of mediocre. And so there's there's no happy medium when you're talking about six and six, because what you have is part of the fan base talking about, hey, this is this is Brent Vittable's first year. And in that first year, you know, six and six, when you consider the number of coaches that they lost, the number of players that they lost, the short amount of time they had to 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 try to salvage some of those guys from jumping into the portal, all of that stuff. Okay, you, you, six and six is acceptable. Then you have the part of the fan base. Nope, it's all garbage. Brent Venables doesn't know what he's doing. He can't recruit. He can't coach. Um, getting Dylan Gabriel in was it was a is a is a poor version of a stopgap at the quarterback position. Jackson Arnold should come in and immediately replace him because even though he's the Big 12 offensive newcomer of the year, he's complete garbage. And so there's just there's just no happy medium. And so if they were exceptional, you you could say this is a team going into the playoffs and 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 they won the Big 12 championship and everybody's happy. Everybody's on the same page. 97% of Sooner Nations on the same page. If they're complete garbage, you have the same, you have the same thing, right? Everyone's like, oh, this is this team is trash. But when you're right there in the middle, you can't find consistency amongst the fan base. And that's where this recruiting class was, perception-wise, before Peyton Bowen flips from Oregon back to Oklahoma. And it was a good class. Even before Peyton Bowen jumped in there, this was a great class. You got P.J. Adabari, the first five-star defensive commitment since Caleb Kelly. You got a five-star quarterback in Jackson Arnold. This was a top 10, a top seven class before Bowen jumps back in it. But that wasn't good enough. And so and so you couldn't, you couldn't find consistency amongst the fan base. But then Peyton Bowen comes in and he rescues it by flipping from Oregon back to Oklahoma and saying, hey, I, I made a mistake. I'm going to be a part of this class. Boomer Sooner all the way. And so now you look at, oh, well, you know, Texas had a better class than Oklahoma. But it is statistically, when you look at the rankings, the 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 best class in the history of Oklahoma football recruiting. And that that means a lot to Oklahoma fans considering the fact that one of Lincoln Riley's selling points to try to appease his decision to go to California was, well, I can't just recruit the type of guys I want to recruit into Norman, Oklahoma. Well, what Lincoln uh, Riley just watched Brent Venables do is in his first full year at the University of Oklahoma, bring in the best recruiting class in the history of this program. So you have to be on the top side, right? I mean, this is exceptional. I mean, you 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 can you can talk about losing out on DJ Hicks, okay? We lost DJ Hicks. When I say we, Sooner Nation lost DJ Hicks due to money, 
it looked like it was going that way to Peyton Bowen, but it, it wasn't. Now, I want to talk specifically about Peyton Bowen because you, you've watched, if you follow recruiting, you've watched countless, just this, this year alone, countless athletes, high-profile kids who are getting phone calls by reporters who are doing uh, television interviews, radio interviews, having cash thrown at them in a way that never before has been done. Okay, let's not tease ourselves and let's not act like recruits haven't had cash thrown at them because that's something that's as old as time. You, you, I mean, it, it's been done for years. But now it's instead of being under the table, it's above board and then everybody knows it, right? So when Boz gets, you know, some thousands of dollars thrown his way under the table, no one really knows about it until he shows up in a Corvette and a mink coat, okay? But now everybody knows, with this, in the era of NIL, everybody knows how much money is getting thrown at these 17 and 18-year-old kids. And, and it is undeniable that Nike money played a role in what Peyton Bowen was doing with the Oregon Ducks. Now, this, this story was misrepresented, I, I believe, in, in whole. This story, well, m mostly, okay, some of the guys who really follow it reported it correctly, but I think once the whole flipping thing started happening, they, they, they portrayed Peyton Bowen as a kid who flipped from Notre Dame to Oregon and then Oregon to Oklahoma in a 24-hour period. And that's, that is not true. If you followed Peyton Bowen's story, those that followed recruiting, those that reported on recruiting, it has been known since... I mean, Thanksgiving at at the at the earliest. I mean, you. I think you can go back further than that, but it has been definitely known for over a month that Peyton Bowen was not going to Notre Dame. I mean, that that was common knowledge. Notre Dame fans knew that. Oklahoma fans knew that. Oregon fans knew that, and so did the coaches. That's why Oregon was able to make such a big push at the end. That's why Oklahoma was with him and never really gave up. Everybody knew, everybody knew Peyton Bowen was not going to Notre Dame. It was between Oregon and Oklahoma. And Nike money got involved with this deal in Oregon. And you're a 17, 18-year-old kid. I'm not for sure how old Peyton is. I think he's 18, but I couldn't, I mean, don't quote me on that, okay? I'm just saying he's a kid. And he's probably getting the opportunity to take a bag of cash that is the most money that he personally has ever been in possession of in his entire life. Not mommy's money, not daddy's money, his money. This is money that's given to him if he just comes and signs with Oregon. Can you imagine the gravity of that situation? Be because I think another known commodity out here with this story is that Peyton Bowen wanted to come to Oklahoma. His brother wants to come to Oklahoma. His girlfriend's already at Oklahoma. But yeah, here's that bag of cash. There it is. Right, right for the taking. And and I think I think he took it. I I, I think money. Now there there's all kinds of stories out there, and and we probably unless unless Bowen writes a memoir or goes and does an interview and says, here's the real story. Here's what happened. We're probably never going to know fully what happened, but there's pieces of the puzzle, right? We know mom wanted him to go to Notre Dame. We know dad was kind of leaning towards Oregon. He wanted Oklahoma, but somewhere in the midst of all this, that bag of cash was involved. 
And now you, you, you sell out what you wanted to take a bag of cash. And I think initially that's what, that's what it was. But then reality hit. And, and then I think it was an easy, I mean, it, it was almost immediately, immediately after that announcement, people started saying he's coming to Oklahoma. And, and I, I, the next morning, the, the very next morning, I got several messages from guys who know way more than I do that were just like, hey, by the end of the day, Peyton Bowen's going to be a Sooner. And then I, I tweeted it out from the Heartland Sports Twitter um, Twitter handle, by the way, the Sports Heartland on Twitter if you want to follow us. I tweeted that out several hours before the official, the official announcement came because I had enough information that made me confident that it was going to come back. And, and so it was, it was a dose of reality versus a quick cash grab. And it really put Peyton Bowen in, in a bad situation because regardless of what he does, where he goes to school now, I mean, look, you got three fan bases. You got Notre Dame, you got Oregon, you got Oklahoma. Notre Dame already is going to hate you because you were committed for so long and you didn't go there. So you're you're out with that fan base. And now Oregon or Oklahoma, one of those two fan bases is going to jump in there. And so two-thirds of the fan bases of the schools that you were interested in are not going to like you based on this decision that you're going to make. And you're 18 years old. And you've got to make a decision that's going to probably set the trajectory for the rest of your life. So there's really not a winning situation for Peyton Bowen. And even though he's made the decision and has signed the letter and is a part of Oklahoma's class, Here's the thing, man. He has to be a star now. He absolutely has to be a star. He, this is not a guy who can afford to go to college and just fizzle out. And and, and I don't I don't think this is fair. But I, here's what's going to happen. Peyton Bowen is going to be um, mentioned in the same light of guys like Brew McCoy. Do you remember Brew McCoy? He had the saga between Texas and USC. Very similar situation. It was USC, Texas, back to USC. Do you know where Brew McCoy is playing right now? I'm going to give you a second to answer the question. I'm not going to give you time to Google it. Brew McCoy plays for Tennessee. And, and most people have forgotten about Brew McCoy. Outside of Knoxville, Tennessee, you, you, Brew McCoy is not a national name. Peyton Bowen right now is a national name. And the only way he stays that way is if he does two things. Number one, he's got to be a star. And number two, he has to stay at Oklahoma. He absolutely cannot transfer now. Because there's an image there that can be built up by Peyton Bowen coming in and being a star. And he has the potential to be an an impact player and contributing player starting in the 2023 season. He is that good. There's a reason why he's a five-star. He can play in the return game. He can probably get in the rotation on the defensive secondary. He has the potential. But the two things he can't do is he can't fail to be a star and he can't transfer. Now, I don't think anybody expects him to be all-conference by 2023 because the kid's a true freshman. But I think if he follows this path, take, take Billy Bowman, for example, right? The path that Billy Bowman's taken and Billy Bowman wasn't as high profile as Peyton Bowen, but it was. It's uh, you could say it's a similar situation because Billy Bowman 
was committed to Texas. His girlfriend's a softball player for the University of Oklahoma. And what does he do? He flips the commitment and comes to OU. And you've seen him put the pieces together. When now you're looking at Billy Bowman going into 2023, and you're thinking this guy has all-conference potential, all-American potential there. And that's, I think, if if Peyton Bowen takes that same trajectory that Billy Bowman's on, this thing's going to work out very well for him. But if he if he suffers injury, if he can't crack the the field as a as a defensive back, if he transfers out, man, this is going to hang over his head, and people don't really realize those ramifications, whether they're fair or not. That's what's going to happen to Peyton Bowen. So he absolutely cannot transfer somewhere else because then that image really begins to take a nosedive. You're a five-star recruit and and you were rising and then you you flip from according to the media, you you flip from Notre Dame to Oregon and then Oregon to Oklahoma in a 24-hour period. You know what? You're in a holding pattern now. You're in a holding pattern. If if you don't if you don't play at OU, if you if you don't star at OU and then you transfer out, that trajectory is no longer a holding pattern. It's going down. And again, I don't. I'm not saying that's fair. I'm not saying at all that's fair to Peyton Bowen. But what what I am saying is that that's that's just the world he's going to live in now. This kid's going to be under a microscope. And and Oklahoma, Sooner Nation, man, we we got you got to support the kid. You got to cheer for the kid. You got to be the biggest Peyton Bowen fan. I know you got mad at him when he when he said Oregon on National Signing Day, but you got to welcome him with open arms the day after when he comes into the Sooner Nation. Because he's got enough people that's going to be hating on him, including the narratives that are going to be run by the national media. All right, we have a bowl game to talk about. We also have some true or false questions. Let's jump in all that right after this. Hey, so there's this nightmare scenario that might be unfolding before our very eyes when it comes to the bowl season in the Big 12 schools. I... I don't like this bowl lineup for for the Big 12. I haven't liked it uh, since it was all announced. And the Big 12 is already 0-2 on the bowl season. You got Baylor losing to Air Force. You got Oklahoma State losing to Wisconsin. And I don't know that it's going to get any better. Now, again, I'm I'm recording this uh, about two hours before Kansas kicks off with Arkansas in the Liberty Bowl. And then you got Texas Tech and Ole Miss in the Texas Bowl. I think those are both losers. I, I think Arkansas beats Kansas. I think Ole Miss beats Texas Tech. And I think as OU goes into its game tomorrow against Florida State as a 9.5 point underdog, I think the Big 12 is sitting at 0-4. Oh, what are the other bowl matchups? Well, Alabama, Kansas State. Nope, don't like that for the conference. TCU, Michigan. Yeah, okay. That could be a fun game, but I think ultimately we're all on board that Michigan's probably the better team. Seven and a half point underdog uh, are the TCU Horn Frogs. And then there's also tomorrow night in the Alamo Bowl, Texas, Washington. Now, we, we know there's going to be some guys like Bijan Robinson who are not playing in this game. Texas is a three-point favorite over the Huskies. This is in Texas. It's in San Antonio. It's not very far from Austin. This will be a pro Texas crowd. Is it possible that Texas is the only Big 12 team that would win a bowl game? Is that possible? And if that's the case, seriously, is that not a nightmare scenario? Because you've got a fan base that's already 
incredibly annoying. That's that keeps shoving 49 to nothing down Oklahoma fans' throats. That still is irrelevant in the grand scheme of things with college football. But we're going to have to deal with the whole Texas is back because they're even though they didn't win the Big 12 championship, even though they're not the best team from the state of Texas, they're going to carry that banner through the winter and into the spring, through the summer, that they were the best Big 12 team because they won their bowl game. I mean, that's... I'm afraid, as I I look at this, I'm afraid that's exactly uh, where we're heading. And I'm not going to lie, man. It it scares the crud out of me because that's going to be a lot of annoyance to to deal with uh, for the next eight months. Now, specifically as far as Oklahoma's bowl game against Florida State in the Cheez-It Bowl, um, this was a bad matchup for the Sooners before you had the opt-outs. It was just a bad matchup before the Sooners, before you had the transfer portal open up. I mean, Oklahoma is sitting at a nine and a half point underdog to Florida State. The Seminoles nine and three on the season, um, sitting at number thirteen. Oklahoma six and six. There, there, there's several key factors here. If you want to get into schematics, for example, uh, Jordan Travis, that, that's the key. You got to keep him in the pocket. And, and we've seen, we have seen mobile quarterbacks and we've talked about uh, in the past throughout the season, uh, we've talked about defensive ends containing, we've talked about pressure coming up the middle, uh, but, but then you, you got, you got a, um, you got the Wilson kid at a receiver. You got the Benson kid at running back. This is an offense that produces 36.2 points per game against an Oklahoma defense that gave up everything to Texas Tech. And it is a very Jekyll and Hyde defense because you see that first, what, 30 minutes against Oklahoma State where they look like the best defense we've ever seen take foot on that field till you go a week later and you're in Lubbock, Texas, and you're just wondering like, okay, even if it was two-man touch, would we be able to see these guys make a tackle? And so – That in itself right there, that makes this a very, very bad bowl matchup for Oklahoma. But then but then you lose both starting tackles. Then you you lose your 1300 yard running back. Uh, You you lose a a receiver to the transfer portal. I mean, you you lose a defensive lineman to the NFL. And so that that makes this where I think initially the line, it was at like six and a half points. We saw it grow to 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 nine and a half, only three points. Man, I'm struggling. Honestly, I'm, I'm going to give you a prediction at the end of the podcast, but I, I'm struggling uh, with keeping this thing within double digits. Now, again, I'm not going to give anything away here, but you've got an offense in Florida State that, get, that, allow, that scores 36.2 points per game. Now, that's not too far off the pace from Oklahoma, 32.9 points per game. But here's the thing. Florida State defense, 19.7 points per game allowed. Oklahoma's offense is going up against a defense that has no players missing because of the NFL draft. And you've got a top 10, maybe top 5 draft pick at defensive end. You, you, you've got a, a first-round draft pick at safety. So they're going in full strength. And Oklahoma's going in without Eric Gray, without Anton Harrison, without Wanya Morris, and they got to go up against this defense. Now, I don't, I don't know that that means all hope is lost. 
I, I really don't. But that, that means that really the fate of Oklahoma's bowl success hinges on maybe the shoulders of five guys. I, I mean, I mean I really, I, I'm dead serious. Because you, you can call out the guys like Dylan Gabriel, okay, but if Anton Harrison is gone and you're replacing him and Wanya Morris is gone and you're replacing him, that affects how Dylan Gabriel is going to play. So I, I think this is a, a bigger deal than just saying, oh, it, it's on Dylan Gabriel to, to execute this offense. No, it is not. It has never been less on Dylan Gabriel than what it is going to be in this bowl game. Yeah, Dylan Gabriel's got a key role to play in this game. But this is, as far as the hinge, what hinges on the success of this offense, it has never been less on Dylan Gabriel than what it's going to be Thursday night in Orlando, Florida. Because Dylan Gabriel is not going to have a 1,300-yard running back behind him. Instead, you got Javante Barnes. Instead, you got Marcus Major, maybe. Instead, you got Taylee Walker. Those are the guys that that are going to be the workhorses in this offense. And and Barnes, I, I got to be honest with you, I'm a little bit excited about Barnes. Right, you, you're going to get a really good look at what this backfield could look like next season. And I don't know about Marcus Major. I'm, I'm just kind of putting Marcus Major to the side for right now, okay? Now, he is the heaviest of these three running backs. I, I don't know what to expect from Gavin Salchuk because, I, look, two carries on the season is what Gavin Salchuk is going into this game with. And I know people are talking about, well, it's time for these freshmen to shine. I think Gavin Salchuk's a guy that they're getting him these extra bowl reps, so he's going to have a good spring. And we see Gavin Salchuk next season. I don't know that I'm relying on Gavin Salchuk as much with one caveat to that. I don't know how healthy Marcus Major is. So we're going to put Marcus Major to the side in his 4.1 yards per carry on the season. And we're going to focus on Javante Barnes right now. And let's not forget, Javante Barnes had a 100-yard game against TCU. Scored two touchdowns. That, that's pretty good. And TCU, arguably the best team Oklahoma faced to this point of the season. And I would say probably the best team they faced all season because I think I would put TCU ahead of Florida State on that scale. But regardless of where you put this TCU defense, whether they're the best defense Oklahoma faced, the second best, third best, wherever you put them, the fact remains he averaged 5.6 yards per carry, scored two touchdowns and broke the century mark. I mean, he was like the, the lone bright spot in that game. 21 carries against Kansas was his most, uh, yeah, as far as workload, 21 carries against Kansas, two touchdowns. So there, there's a lot to like be enthusiastic about when it comes to seeing Javante Barnes. And the question is going to be, how much depth will they go behind him and who? Because Marcus Morris injured. It was in a walking boot earlier this week. Now it's not uncommon for a guy to be in a boot in earlier the week of the game and then end up playing. That's happened and will happen and will continue to happen. But, but the point is this is on Javante Barnes. I, I think he's the workhorse. I think he's the guy that um, good or bad, th this running game is on him. 
And and whether it's Tawee Walker, whether it's Gavin Solchuk, whether it's Marcus Major behind him, I, I don't know. And I don't think anybody really does know. If if I had to bet, if if you made me put money on it, I'm saying it's probably Javante Barnes and then Tawee Walker and then Gavin Solchuk because I don't know how healthy Marcus Major is. And so it's hard to like factor that guy in knowing, knowing that he's not 100% against the best defense, second best defense, third best defense that they're going to face this year in Florida State. Oh, yeah, by the way, with, with two, two of the five uh, offensive linemen being brand new, one of them making its first ever start. But yeah, for sure, Javante Barnes, 4.6 yards per carry, four touchdowns, 89 carries, 411 yards on the season as a true freshman. He's the first guy. He's the first guy we're going to mention that the uh, success of Oklahoma against Florida State hinges upon. Now, what about the second guy? We're going to be, we'll stay on the offensive side of the ball for this, but I'm, I'm curious, and I, I don't mean this in any disrespect, right? because I, I, know I, I know this could come out and sound wrong. All right? I, I can sound like I'm, I'm just hating on the guy, and, and I, don't, I don't mean to be that way. But when you look at the loss of guys from this roster, from the Texas Tech game to this game against Florida State, Theo Weiss is probably the most insignificant, right? I mean, I, I look, I, I get the potential there. I get the big play. And, and what we saw against Texas Tech, that was the Theo Weiss that we thought we were getting when he came in with the, this class with Austin Stogner and Jaden Hazelwood and Spencer Rattler and, and that whole crew. But we could also be honest and say that's not the Theo Weiss that we've had. That that, that t- Texas Tech game was a one-off. We didn't get that Theo Weiss every week. We got a very inconsistent Theo Weiss. We got a Theo Weiss who was injured. We got a Theo Weiss who had some personal issues. We got a Theo Weiss who dropped passes. And I'm not hating on the kid. I'm just I'm just telling you that's the way it is. And when you looked at this depth chart at receiver, they're still stacked. You still got Marvin Mims. You still got Drake Stoops. By the way, Drake coming back for sure next year. You got Gavin Freeman, who's been pretty solid as a as a freshman doing some things. You got Nick Anderson. Uh, not Nick Anderson. That's who we're about to talk about. You got Jalil Farouk. And then there's Nick Anderson. Now, now Theo Weiss was, was always behind Jalil Farouk on this depth chart. And Jalil Farouk has been really solid this season. Now, does Nick Anderson step up and take some of the reps that Theo Weiss would have gotten? I mean, Nick Anderson's a big body guy, 6'4", 200 pounds. He is a true freshman, but still, I mean, that's what bowl season's right. I mean, he's not the only true freshman we're going to be talking about in this segment. I mean, four-star prospect. Part of the 2022 class, 29 scholarship offers. Now he's he's played he's appeared in two games this season. So this could be the time. If if you got a guy like Nick Anderson who can stretch the field in the same way that uh, the, that Theo Weiss did against Texas Tech, that's going to be huge for Dylan Gabriel. Remember, I was, what I said at the beginning of the segment, there's never been less on Dylan Gabriel than what's going to be on right now in this game. 
But can you duplicate what you got from Texas Tech from that game? Can you duplicate with Nick Anderson what you got from Theo Weiss? That's a big question. It's a big if. And again, when you look at the depth chart, when you look at Jalil Farouk, when you look at Marvin Mans, when you look at Drake Stoops, that's three. Now you got Braden Willis out there, but you, you got to go four or five deep. That means guys like Gavin Freeman and Nick Anderson are probably going to be called upon to run some routes. And if you're the Florida State defense, you're looking at Jalil Farouk. You're looking at Marvin Mims. You're looking at Drake Stoops. And you're going to put someone over the top of one or two of those guys. Meaning, if Nick Anderson's able to get into this game, 6'4", 200, we already talked about the size, a big body guy, if he's able to get into the game, he is almost surely going to have single coverage. No one's going to be over the top of Nick Anderson if Marvin Mims is on the other side of the field. No one's going to be over the top of Nick Anderson if Drake Stoops is lined up inside of him. I, I, I like I like it. I like Nick Anderson to be a guy who has the potential, has the possibilities. Much like Jaleel Farouk was in the Alamo Bowl last year, Nick Anderson could be that guy in the Cheez-It Bowl this year. So there's two. Javante Barnes, freshman. Nick Anderson, freshman. You catching the theme here? Because we're about to jump over to the defensive side of the ball. And, and with again, all due respect, what I said about Theo Weiss probably pertains to Jalen Redmond as well. I mean, when you look at the guys from the University of Oklahoma, they're heading off to the NFL. To, to me, Anton Harrison is the only one that makes sense. I mean, I mean look, I, I get it. Wanya Morris, play in the bowl game, okay? You, you can go. I mean, Anton Harrison is a top three guy, top five guy, uh, offensive tackles heading into the combine. So Anton Harrison has already kind of made it, okay? He's going to get drafted, and he's going to get probably first or second round. In fact, I would say right now, Anton Harrison is probably the most draft-eligible ready guy that the University of Oklahoma has to offer. Now, Wanya Morris going up against these guys from Florida State, you got an all-conference, all-American pass rusher coming at you. Wanya Morris could make some money by playing in this game. So it kind of like, well, okay, I, I get it. You you got the body, you got the size, but you could make some money playing in this game. Jalen Redmond just doesn't make any sense to me. Other than a guy trying to follow his dream. And, and there have been guys who have done it. Think about Tony Jefferson. Tony Jefferson was still bouncing around in the NFL this season. And, and Tony Jefferson went undrafted, came out early. He and Kenny Stills had a dream. They're going to play three years of college football. We're going to go to the NFL. Kenny Stills gets drafted. Tony Jefferson doesn't. But Tony Jefferson, not only did he make it, but he became an all-pro. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's impossible for Jalen Redman. But when you look at Tony Jefferson's collegiate career, there was a lot more accolades there, a lot more on tape than what you've had from Jalen Redman. And, and what I've said, I've always said, Regardless of me podcasting by myself or if I'm with one of the other guys, tape is what it's about. They, you got to have the tape. That's why Kennedy Brooks came back. 
last year. And and even even at that, even having three years, three years of, of 1,000-yard rushing, Kennedy Brooks went undrafted. I don't think there's enough tape on Jalen Redmond. But that said, he's gone. And, and, and like Theo Weiss, Jalen Redmond was not number one on the depth chart. That was Jordan Kelly. So what's going to happen is you're going to see Josh Ellison kind of elevate up into that second spot on the rotation. But then there's Grayson Halton sitting there, another true freshman. Now, Josh Ellison was a four-star JUCO recruit. Guy came in with Perry on Winfrey and just kind of lived in his shadow. But what what I what I and many other people thought would happen this year with Perry on Winfrey moving on to the NFL is that this would be you know Isaiah Coe and Josh Ellison would jump in there and dominate that defensive line. That's not happened, and it's opened the door for guys like Grayson Halton, another four star prospect. He's he's played in nine games already this season. He's got ten tackles. He's a powerful guy. He's got a quick burst. This guy was a track guy, a basketball player as well. So I I, I think when when we're making this list, all we're doing is we're talking about freshmen. Javante Barnes, Nick Anderson, Grayson Holton. These are all freshmen. And we haven't even got to the most critical of, of the possession of, of the uh, of the of the positions yet, and that's a, that's the tackle positions. Let, let, let's start on the right side because we I told you my thoughts on Wanya Morris, but the guy that's going to replace Wanya Morris is Tyler Guyton. And and here's here's some interesting things about Tyler Guyton. Now I know he's new to this team. He's he's only been here for this first season. Member of the, the TCU team. For 2020, 2021, um, came he played uh, what in, in eight games last season for the Horn Frogs. But again, we're talking about an uber athletic guy. We're talking about a guy with a big frame too, six seven, three hundred and twenty. The guy's so athletic that he also played H back for TCU. Look it up if you don't believe me. He has a touchdown pass that he caught against Iowa State last season from the H back position. And this is the guy that's going to be lining up at right tackle. This is a guy who's going to remember Dylan Gabriel. Dylan Gabriel's left-handed, so this is a guy that's going to be watching the blind side for Dylan Gabriel. And then you got another true freshman. By the way, Tyler Tyler Guyton is redshirt sophomore. But that said, uh, let's move over to Jacob Sexton because this the, the, these two guys, Tyler Guyton and Jacob Sexton. The, the, when I said there has never been less pressure on Dylan Gabriel. There's a bang load of pressure on these guys. And they've got great size. Jacob Sexton, true freshman, 6'6", 312. So you don't you don't lose any size because I mean, gosh, Anton Harrison is 6'5", 315. So you're you're place, replacing him with a guy who's three pounds lighter but an inch taller. So uh, this is a this is a good spot body wise. Not a good spot when you talk about experience because Jacob Sexton's making his first ever career start. Now, he's a four-star prospect. All of these guys are four-star prospects. He had offers from Alabama. He had offers from Texas, Notre Dame. The Blue Bloods wanted him. But there's Jared Verse. I mean, good night. 
He's the guy I've told you about. The all all conference, all American, top five draft pick, probably top ten for sure. This guy didn't opt out. He's coming to play in the bowl game. He wants that. He wants that win for Florida State, and then he's going to the NFL probably. And he's looking at Jacob Sexton, and he's going, "Dang, true freshman, okay." Now, I, I think Jared Verse is going to be on both sides of the ball. Like I said, he, you know, the the blind side is going to be the right for for Dylan Gabriel. So you're probably going to see him line up over both over Guyton and Sexton. But that that that's it right there, guys. That that is the bread and butter of whether this offense works. These two guys. I think defensively, Jalen Redmond is 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 pretty insignificant along the same ways as, as lines as Theo Weiss. I think Javante Barnes, that's that's going to go a long way. But what these two tackles do, that that's where it is right there. That that is the success. Oklahoma will win or lose based on what these tackles do. Dylan Gabriel will have the opportunity to, to succeed or fail based on what these two tackles do. And and that, that goes across the board for this offense. So there it is. There's five guys that Oklahoma's success hinges upon in the bowl game against Florida State. We got a couple of true or false questions, and I'll give you my official prediction after that. Okay, so here we go. As we wrap this up uh, with this episode of the Sooner Nation podcast, we had uh, just a few of the true or false questions, and these are all from email. Um, and I just, again apologize for those of you that hit us up on Twitter, um, especially after National Signing Day and and stuff like that. Um, I'm, I'm going to have some changes to the podcast format um, that we'll be announcing after the first of the year, and we're going to try to include more of those. Just can't get to them all right now, and um, I don't want you to stop sending them because uh, we we are going to again we're going to change it up a little bit and and try to get more. Uh, episodes that are dedicated specifically to your true or false questions, uh, but these are these are all from um, from email and uh, they they all have pertain to the bowl game. So let's do this. Um, this is Felix. Felix says uh, true or false. Uh, the there will be no changes made to the coaching staff uh, after the bowl game. Look, the, the, it, it's crazy the the roller coaster ride that this staff has has gone on um because um holy cow sorry guys breaking news trace ford former oklahoma state defensive tackle has committed to the university of oklahoma now if i'm reading this right if i'm understanding this right trace ford is swapping colors swapping from the Halloween orange. Am I reading this right? I mean, this is from Trace Ford. I mean, he's tweeting it out. Oklahoma kid has a picture of him in the Sooner uniform. Uh, defensive edge. I've been Oklahoma. OU. So there it is. Trace Ford coming to the University of Oklahoma. And I just, just saw this as I was answering your question, Felix. So my apologies. Uh, don't typically do that, but that's that's something that's been rumored for a while, but then you kind of thought the rumor was dead because he said a while back that uh, that he had made up his decision, but then no announcement was ever made. 
that's a huge get because we, we're going back to the man. I'm sorry, just going a different direction here. Going back to the beginning of the podcast, something we didn't talk about with this recruiting class was the guys that they're adding through the transfer portal. Now, this recruiting class is already set heavily on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, I, I wasn't going to get into it because I said that all that stuff had, had been done and it's basically being regurgitated. But now this comes out. You've already got defensive linemen five in this in this recruiting class. I think you had five defensive backs. You've added uh, the McCullough brothers, sorry, one through the recruiting class, one through the transfer portal. Um, you, you, I mean, this is you got the safety from Texas Tech, and now you're putting Trace Ford uh, on this defensive line. I mean, th- th- this is this is the ebb and flow of college football because you can lose everybody to the transfer portal, like what we saw last year. Going into the 2022 season, it was a depleted group. And then you can quickly rebuild with the right guys. And it looks like that's what Oklahoma's doing with Trace Ford committing to play for the Sooners as a transfer from Oklahoma State. Absolutely mind-blowing. Okay, so here we go. Back to to your question, Felix. Um, Man, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm just, I'm just, I'm. My ADD is going overdrive. I think the answer, I think your question is false. And, and it's sorry, going back, um, Felix says, true or false, Oklahoma's coaching staff will remain intact after the bowl game. The, the ebb and flow here, I was, I was talking about the, the ups and downs. Think, think about all the guys we've wanted. And I say we, I'm doing air quotes, but the, let's say it this way all the guys that we've seen, Sooner Nation demand get fired. This year, uh, so Ted Roof, Jeff Levy, Brent Venables, the guy that we haven't seen any word out there is probably the guy that is going to get replaced, and that's Ladamian Washington. I, I think Oklahoma is still looking for a receiver coach. I'm not saying Ladamian Washington's not in the running. I think he is a candidate, but I don't think that's resolved. I think Brent Venables is, I mean, if you think about what he's managed since the Texas Tech game, he's managed the transfer portal, he's managed National Signing Day, he's managed the bowl prep. I don't know how much time that leaves him to really do this coaching search the way he wants to do it. And all I'm saying is I don't know that that position has been resolved. It could be LaDamian Washington that stays on staff in a full-time role, not just as the interim. But it, it could be somebody else. And, and and I think that's the one staff position that we don't know uh, that's solid. I think everybody else, I think everybody else is coming back. Sorry, Jeff Levy haters, but he's coming back. Sorry, Ted Roof haters, but he's coming back. And and so when you look at staff positions, if it is a staff, there's not going to be a staff shakeup. Uh, that's the, the you know, that's the microwave popcorn crowd who wants instant gratification and and looks for it and can't find it. Um, that's not happening. But if there is a change, it's going to be Ladamian Washington at the receiver coach, in my opinion. And and again, I'm just saying that's the possibility. That's if it happens, that's where it's going to be. But I do think Ladamian Washington is still very much a candidate for this position uh, at the receiver's coach. All right, so let's move on. Uh, Question number two comes from Reggie. Reggie says, true or false, softball can't get here soon enough. Um, No, I get it, Reggie, but look, um, I'm with you. I'm excited because next week, next week, Reggie, we get to say 
next month we'll have softball. And I, I think, um, I think when you look at what Patty Gasol is bringing back and then what she's added to it, this team's going to be great again. I mean, just, just great again. And, and I think Patty Gasol has it. I mean, there are, there are certain coaches who have found the, the proper mix of transfer portal and scholarship players out of high school. And Patty Gasso is one of those coaches. And you see this across the across sports. Um, let's take Porter Mosier, for example, because you're t- totally overlooking basketball. The Sooners beat Florida over the uh, last week. So you got Texas coming up on Saturday. But Porter Mosier hasn't yet had the opportunity to get this right mix because when he came to Norman, uh, a lot of Kruger's guys left. And so he had to bring you brought in the Groves brothers, the transfer portal, right? And then you get through the end of Mosier's first season. And what happens? Elijah Harkless, boom, he's gone to Vegas. Um, and then where, where did Mo Gibson go? Pepperdine or something like that. Providence, uh, one of the P ones. Um, and, and, and imagine if you, if you have Elijah Harkless and Mo Gibson on this year's team, they are way further ahead than where they are right now. And I think they're middle of the pack right now on the, when the big 12, so he's not yet had the opportunity to do that mesh that Patty Gasso has, and neither has Brent Venables. Um, and they're they're going to rely heavily when we're seeing it right there with that breaking news about Trace Ford. They're going to rely heavily on the transfer portal. Last year, this year, maybe some next year. But what you what you want to see is that wean off a little bit to just keys. Key spots, man. When you when you lose a guy early to the NFL, you, you lose a guy that decides to transfer out, and you got to fill a key spot. Then you go into the transfer portal. You're not relying on the transfer portal. You're using the transfer portal, and that's what Patty Gasso is doing. And that's the long way of saying, I can't wait because I think even though they lost Jocelyn Allo, this team is going to be really, really good. They're going to be the top contender for the Big 12, and they're going to be a top contender to go to Oklahoma City for the Women's College World Series. Okay, last but not least, here we go, Eli. Eli says, true or false, Oklahoma is going to get slaughtered by Florida State. Um, man, I've been struggling with this, Eli. I really have um, because I, I'm I'm true and true a Sooner fan, but here's the reality of the situation. Oklahoma is outmatched in this game. Now, the Sooners have a great history against Florida State, um, the last time they played Florida state and they were, they were severely outmatched was the 2000 orange bowl. Um, when they won the national championship, it's going to have to take that type of performance. Now, a lot of these younger guys, cause that was 22 years ago, um, 23 years ago, almost a lot of these guys don't remember Ante Jones. All right. So, you know, you know, some of the big name guys, you know, Josh Heupel, you know, you know, Torrance Marshall, you know, Quentin Griffin, Ante Jones played out of his mind in that Orange Bowl game against Florida State. I think it's going to take a performance by somebody along those lines for Oklahoma to come out on top of this game. Now, I don't, I I just, the, the Sooner fan in me can't predict a complete smackdown. So Oklahoma's a nine and a half point underdog. I'm going to say, I'm going I'm to go a wonky score here. Let's go 33-26, Florida State. So I can pick OU to lose. I can be a realist. 
But but I think you lose by a touchdown somewhere around that ballpark figure, and we'll just, again just go with a wonky score, uh, 33-26. But I think Oklahoma pulls out all the stops to try to make this happen. But you got to get guys uh, to step up. So that's it. We're going to be back uh, after the game with some post-game thoughts. Uh, we're going to, again, at the first of the year, kind of announce a new format to you guys. Uh, but I hope you have a great, great rest of your week. Enjoy the game the best you can on Thursday night. Hopefully we see a miracle and uh, Boomer Sooner. When I wake up, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you. When I go out, yeah, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who goes along with you. If I get drunk, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who gets drunk next to you. And if I haver, yeah, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who's havering to you. But I would walk 500 miles and I would walk 500 more to be the man who walked a thousand miles to fall down at your door. When I'm walking, yes, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who's working hard for you when the money comes in for the work I do I'll pass almost every penny on to you When I come home I come home, Oh, I know I'm going to be I'm going to be the man who comes back home to you And if I broke Well, I know I'm going to be I'm going to be the man who's going over to you But Come